0: You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Chapter 1, verses around 6 through 9. This morning will be our main Text, but we're going to dial into just a smaller section than that. This is First Peter chapter 1 verses six through nine, page 120:3 in your pew Bible. In this, all that's been said, verses three through five, in this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Grass withers, flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. Honestly, um, I'm stuck on two words this morning. Uh, The two words are not found in every translation, uh, the ESV is the only one that says it specifically this way. So if you're reading the NIV, it might say it says something like, Have ha- having had to suffer grief, or an NLT, something along those lines, say you must endure. But both the, the KJV, the New American Standard, and the ESV, they bring out this idea of the necessity of suffering. The ESV says, though now for a little while, if necessary, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. What in the world does Peter mean by this? <laughs> I mean, he's, he's talking about this joy that we have coming to us. And then he says, that "This in this joy, this this inheritance, it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, it's kept in heaven for us. This adoption that we have, this living hope, because we've been born again. This promise that we are, this this treasure is kept for us, and we are kept for it. This reality that that is going on, that this this that we rejoice in, is there yet for a little while, if." Necessary. When I worked through this slowly, I honestly just had almost a violent response to those two words. Like it makes you just want to punch something when you hear, maybe you don't have that strong of a reaction, but you think, if necessary, do you know out of all the suffering that I've walked through in my own life, the suffering that I've watched many in the congregation go through, do you, as I've watched this suffering... Do you know what percentage of that I thought was necessary? Do you have a guess? Zero. Zero. What do you mean, if necessary, Peter? Get real. What's up? What gives? Why is Peter saying? I mean, it just... In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. You may have... You have been grieved by various trials. That's where I was with this text. Last Sunday, I get home, usually on a Sunday afternoon, look at the text that we're gonna be looking at so I can think on it through the week, and I'm just stuck right there, if necessary. So maybe I misunderstand the word necessary. Karen Denny, we're gonna, look, look up, let's define what necessary means. Karen likes to look up her definitions. What is necessary? Well, necessary means it is required to be done, achieved, or present. It is needed. Necessary is essential. No, that's what I thought it meant. Okay, darn it. That is what necessary means. Required to be done, achieved, or required to be present. It is needed. It is essential. So I, I guess I knew what, nece- what uh, if necessary meant. So my suffering, your suffering, this can't be the word Peter means to use. If necessary, I mean, accidentally happening, maybe, but necessary, needed, uh, required to be done, essential, this suffering, grieved by various trials, am I wrong? I mean, but yet there it is. Having had to, here we have the NIV, it says, having had to. There's a there's an essential quality to the suffering. There it is. If necessary. Well, what is going on with those two little words? Two words in the Greek as well, but if necessary. At some level, the understanding of what is necessary is only understood and accepted when there is an agreed-upon end. You know, you, can't, you can never agree upon what ingredients are necessary if you're all baking the same thing, right? If I show up and I'm making meatloaf and Darla's making chocolate chip cookies, I say certain ingredients are necessary and she says other ingredients are necessary. We're never going to agree upon what is necessary if we don't have the same finished goal. Necessity requires an agreed-upon good end. And there, likely, we do find a problem with what we think is necessary and what God evidently deems to be necessary. We have different goals. But before we get to that, the inevitability of suffering in the life of a Christian is clear throughout the New Testament and really clear out through all the pages of Scripture you could go to Acts chapter 14, and Paul is stoned at Lystra. He goes there, he preaches the gospel, and they stone him, and then they drag him out because he, they're sure he's dead. Maybe he was dead, but don't really know. I and mean, they drag him out, drag him out. These people, they're not uh, like some ant- they're so anti scientific. They have no idea what a dead person is, what a living person is. They, they knew, and they'd stone Paul to the point of assuming he was dead, drag him outside of the city, and leave him. His disciples gather around him, pray for him. And he gets up and he walks back into Lystra. <laughs> he walks back into the city. And what does he do there? Well, verse 22 of, of 14 says that he, he preaches, he tells them of the gospel again. And then in verse 22, he says to his disciples that it is through many tribulations that God's people must enter the kingdom. It is through many tribulations that you must Enter the kingdom. That must language again. Tribulations, they are on the horizon for the follower of Jesus. You must enter the kingdom through many tribulations. You could go to a place like Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, just the verses 3 through 5. Or no, Romans 5, which one's right there. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Paul says that not only that, we, we rejoice... In our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. Paul says that there is rejoicing to be had in suffering because it is through that suffering that this beneficial fruit is born in their life, right? Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame. But this almost seems blind to the reality of suffering, doesn't it? To just try to paper over suffering and say, well, it's going to lead to good fruit in your life. When you're in the midst of suffering, you know what you think? I don't care about good fruit. What about right now? <laughs> what about right now? It almost seems Blind to the reality of suffering. When you are in suffering, which is just, I think, a good general definition of suffering, is lacking something you want or having something you don't want. That is, there is is suffering that comes having something you desire to be rid of. When that's going on, you don't care about the fruit that's coming. You care about what is in the moment. But for the Christian, it is clear, suffering is there. You can go to James chapter 1. Verses 2 and 3. Again, James writing says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, the suffering that inevitably comes to every Christian is producing a steadfast Faith, and therefore it should be rejoiced in. Or Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, he says to them, he's talking about this uh, this glorious reality of their salvation. And he says, it has been granted to you not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Granted. I mean, the, the granted word is, is wild there. He's, he's saying to these people, that Paul is in jail. It's one of his prison epistles. They're suffering there in Philippi as Christians. And he says, it's been granted, given, mercifully, graciously given to you that you should not only believe in him, but also it's been granted to you, mercifully given to you, that you should suffer for his sake. So it's a, it's a reality in the Christian life, but if necessary... I, I just, I, I, I hit a wall there, and I, I'm fighting, I'm wrestling. If necessary, help me to see. Because I still think, necessary suffering? The very suffering is robbing me of the fruit that I should have, but I think there's confession in that. A confession of what I think the end for me should be. There's a confession of where I think my life should be going. There's a confession of the old man, as we talked about in Sunday school, that the old man, the, the sinful flesh, that I have a desired end that I want to get to. And I think it needs to be somewhere totally free of suffering. There's my end. And so I see no need for any suffering because of the end that my old man is grasping for. That my sinful flesh is grabbing for. As opposed to what evidently God sees. Evidently what Peter is seeing. Evidently what we should see with the eye of faith. Of an end that does mean in the mystery of God's sovereign providential hand. Does mean there is necessary suffering. How can any trial be necessary? It depends on what you see as the goal. It depends on what you see as the goal. Our natural state and our natural pattern of thinking sees God as someone who helps us achieve our ends. God is Somehow, a a genie. We're like we think that we're um, Aladdin, and we've snuck into the cave, and we've got the genie, and we we you know we rub the lamp three times, and all of a sudden we have all our wishes. And God is the great genie in the sky who exists for us to make our wishes and for Him to grant them. Here's what I want. Here's what I want to have happen. Go, God, get to work performing my will in the world. (laughs) And what we do there is we make ourselves God and we make him our servant. That is, in a very real way, that is idolatry. That is sinful rebellion. That is saying to God, get off the throne, you're in my chair. You're in my chair, God. That is, that is idolatry. That is rebellion. But so much of our lives are We are wired with that thinking. Since the fall of Adam, we all are hardwired to think God should get out of that chair, we should sit there, and he should do our bidding. Our goal becomes not the worship of the one true God, but really the worship of ourselves and our own interests. And therefore, we do have goals that do not line up. And so suffering becomes absolutely not a necessary thing to the God who lives on the throne of my own heart when I sit in that chair. We were driving through Iowa yesterday and um, saw a sign, Jesus loves you. Amen. That's absolutely true. I could amen that from here to kingdom come. But what does it mean that Jesus loves you? That's an interesting question. What does it mean that Jesus loves you? Because what we've done with love in our world today is that loving me means you give me whatever I want. Loving me means that you just do for me what I want you to do. That is what we've turned love into meaning. We think that, that Jesus loving us must mean that Jesus is going to give us exactly what we want He exists, he loves us to fulfill our every hope and dream in this life. But that is not how love works. Jesus is about giving us exactly what will make us most happy in him forever. Jesus loves you. And the way that he loves you is by giving you himself. Giving you himself not the, not the world that you want, this passing transient world, and, and rewriting it and making it just to give you a cushioned existence for the few short years that you're here. He exists to give you himself. That is, what Je- that is how Jesus loves us. Westminster Catechism asks the question what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We have a catechism that says, what's the chief end of God? To glorify us and make us happy forever in this world. Make us happy in this world. But that is not God's purpose. It is to glorify Himself and to make us happy in Him Forever, It is not His glory at the expense of our happiness. It is His glory and our happiness, one goal and the same reality. But that happiness is found not in this life. It is found in Him. Why do we struggle so much with the wrongs of this life? Well, firstly, I think it's obvious we struggle with the if necessary sufferings because they truly do hurt. They truly do hurt. We were just reading Sunday school, the passage that Paul's talking about our earthly tent groans as it's fading away, as it's afflicted. There's real suffering. We struggle with the wrongs with this being if necessary because it truly does hurt. But Jesus was no stranger to this. You know, we could go to Isaiah 53. He talks about that he was a man of sorrows and familiar with grief. Jesus, as He goes is outside the, of outside the tomb of Lazarus, he weeps. He looks at Jerusalem, and he, he, he laments, "Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem! How I've longed that I would gather you as a chick as and chicks under, chicks under my wings." And hes grieved. Jesus is no stranger to grief. He shed tears, so we struggle because it truly does hurt. But we also struggle because we can't see. We can't see. We're just, we're, we are corporeal. We are stuck in this world. Our eyesight is weak. And part of what Peter is pushing on and we'll, we'll get to in the coming weeks is that he's trying to raise our eyes, right? He says it right here at the verse five, this guarding that's happening for us. We are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Not now, it's, it's revealed in the last time. It's coming but we can't see it right now we we lack the eyesight our eyes are weak to see this joy that is coming at the revelation of Jesus Christ Peter is pushing that we would and saying the day is coming when we will see Jesus in the fullness of his victory the trials that we have had to suffer today will give way to praise and glory on that day. We struggle because trials do hurt. We struggle because we lack the eyesight to see. And we also struggle because our hearts wrestle with unbelief. There's this battle inside of us. And this suffering is purifying our faith. That's what Paul is Peter's going to get into in these next few verses. It's purifying our faith. Now, not in some punitive way. Like that you can get really dangerous here like as though, boy, if I just believed more, maybe I could have skipped the suffering. That's a sick, twisted theology doctrine. That is, not, that is not punitive. You cannot piecemeal out every little suffering and say, oh, this is for this reason, this is for this reason, this is for this reason. That is not what P- P- Peter is saying here. It is not as though God is saying, if you only had better faith before this, this wouldn't have had to happen. Not at all. God's mysterious movements are far more complex than that. But I think it is totally okay to say, like the man who came down off the mountain whose son was falling into the fire, it's okay to say, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. To admit that there's still this struggle. I believe, yet, yet I'm at war with myself almost. God, I believe, help me in my unbelief. None of us believe perfectly we need his grace more and more each day. What is this necessary suffering then working out in our lives? And you could say a ton of things here. But to just say a few, what is this necessary suffering working in our lives? How is it necessary? First, I think it's wise to say that we may never really know. Like to presume, again, that you could go through every little suffering in your life and say, Oh, now some people do that, you know, and I get it. Like, Oh, this bad thing happened because it opened the door for this good thing to happen. You know, you have that go on. Like, I lost this job, which was a real suffering, but that opened the door for me to get this other better job. Okay, that's fine. You can't do that with every suffering. You just can't. And and, and I don't think it's wisdom. It's wisdom to say... You may never know fully the reason behind many of our sufferings. Why did this person die? Why did this sickness happen? Why, why did my life go in this direction? Why did my health take this turn that made certain things no longer ever possible for me? Why has time elapsed the way that it has? I can never go back. We cannot, and I think it's wisdom to just admit, we may never fully know what suffering is working in our lives. That is not to say that it isn't working something, that God in his sovereignty and in his providence hasn't said that at some level, for some reason, there is this necessariness. Peter says in this passage, the second thing, we may never fully know, but suffering is working, it is purifying our faith. Suffering will pry your hands off of the things of this world and leave you clinging only to Jesus. And in case this is lost on you, that is a good thing. That is a good thing. When the things of this life fall out of your hands and all you can do is cling to Jesus, that is a good thing. Suffering purifies our faith. It propels the mission of God. We are the grass, the flower, quickly fading. The wind blows over it, its place remembers it no more, Psalm 103 says, that is us. And there's some sobriety that needs to come from the reality of suffering. It propels the mission of God that we do not have forever. We ought to take today seriously. We ought to take this week seriously. Suffering propels the mission of God. What conversation should you have this week? Because suffering is real. Trials are real. Suffering propels the mission of God Suffering also increases your glory in the next life. And we could give you passages on this where Paul talks about it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. That's a, we could talk about that. See me after church if you want to discuss more on that. Suffering increases your glory in the next life. Suffering emboldens others around you. Many stories of faithful Christians have inspired the church throughout the ages. Where seeing someone gracefully, graciously, Confidently, honestly suffering and trusting Christ encourages the church to trust Christ, encourages the church to treasure Christ over all else. And lastly, suffering shows the supreme value of Christ. Psalm seventy three twenty there is nothing on earth. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my life and my portion. He's what I have forever. Psalm 16:11 At your right hand speaking of God, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. How does knowing this help this necessariness of suffering? One commentator says it like this. Peter added the interesting phrase if necessary, The idea is that the suffering believers experience are not the result of fate or impersonal forces of nature. They are the will of God for believers. The New Testament regularly sees sufferings as the road believers must travel to enter into God's kingdom. We should not deduce from this that sufferings are somehow enjoyable or that a specific reason should be assigned to each suffering, nor should we minimize the evil actions of others in inflicting suffering. Peter assured his readers, however, that God is working out his plan, even in their anguish. If we will see it, there is great comfort in knowing that even the great trials of our lives are not beyond God's hands. Though we may not understand them, though we may even loudly disagree with them, (laughs) any amens on that one? (laughs) That we may even loudly disagree with them at times, we can trust him. It's a hard truth. It is. It is a hard truth to see that all that comes our way only comes to us through the permission of God. If necessary, it burns a little. It's a hard truth. But it is also a hard and firm foundation to ground our lives upon when the sufferings do come. This does not mean we will all of a sudden begin to enjoy the suffering or by any means understand the reason behind the suffering. It means that even though God's purposes are clouded over, And beyond our understanding, it does not mean that God has lost charge for even one second. All is not adrift. And though we may feel overwhelmed and rightfully and understandably so at all times, God is not overwhelmed. He never has been. He never will be. And we can turn to him. William Cooper wrote a hymn God moves in a mysterious way. We won't sing it this morning, but it reads fine as a poem. William Cooper struggled his whole life with depression. John Newton was his pastor. Maybe you know John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. There's the Olney hymns, is a collection of hymns written by William Cooper and John Newton. Struggled with depression with just a lot of grief in his life. Understanding what is God doing? Necessary suffering. He writes this, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea. You can't see them. His footsteps, he's down in the bottom of the sea. He's walking, but man, you can't see. His footsteps are in the sea and he rides upon the storm. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy. And shall break in blessings on your head. His purposes, not mine, not yours. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. If you're looking without the eye of faith, you're going to misdiagnose what God is doing. Blind unbelief, it's sure to err. Scan God's work in vain, trying to figure out what he's doing. Why? Because God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Let's pray. Father, we sit there for a few minutes this morning discussing hard reality but God I pray that, that you would take us beyond just the hardness of it to the joy and the security and the peace wrapped in the midst of it that though that we ought not be surprised when suffering comes our way we ought not be surprised when things do not go the way that we think they should go but father we need an anchor for those days That we can sink into bedrock truth. That you are the God who has not lost control for a second of your existence. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are the first and the last. You are the God who is, who was, who is to come. And that your children have no safer place than in your hands. Though we have been grieved, if necessary, by various trials. We rejoice, we rejoice that we have been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us who are being guarded until that final day. So, God, by your Holy Spirit, work this truth in our hearts that we might have an anchor and a ballast for our life that is Jesus Christ, that we might have a treasure. That we might have a treasure that will guard our hearts and provide joy and peace through every trial that comes our way. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.